Talk Show by Perfectly Spoken with your host, Natalie Gommen. Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Perfectly Spoken Talk Show. Now today is a very, very special day because it is our first anniversary and today we are interviewing Stephanie Marston. She's a very important part of our team and I kind of feel like I'm interviewing a famous person. So here, here uh, are you there, Stephanie? Yes, I am. Feeling a bit embarrassed by that description. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really thank looking forward. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this interview because, of course, you know, a lot of us have seen you on Facebook Live. We've seen your lessons. And it's really nice to have this opportunity to get to know. Absolutely. Yeah, to get to know a little bit more about you. So first of all, for all the people watching, I can see we have some people that, lots of people who are watching today. So now we always see you, you know, your head, your shoulders, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. So I thought it would be quite interesting and funny to start the show today with a poll. So... And actually, I don't know the answer to this question either. So I'm going to start a poll here, which um, I'll read it out to you now for everyone. So it says, how tall is Stephanie? Because we don't really know. Yeah, maybe she's really tall. <laughs> or well, maybe very, she's really... Yeah, very short, maybe. Yeah, we don't know, do we? So the options are 155 centimetres, 160 centimetres, 165 centimetres or 175 centimetres. So we've got some votes coming in. There's one very popular answer at the moment, but I'm going to leave a little bit more time okay. and see if people are right. You can tell, all right, I'm going to end the voting now. So what is the answer? The answer is 165. Ah, very good, very good. Okay, so most people got that right. Congratulations, well done. Yeah. <laughs> so you're actually taller than me. Okay. I yeah. think I'm about five foot five. That's sort of how I would, yeah. Five foot right, five foot five. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Because in the UK, we use feet and inches and centimetres. I mean, we kind of go between the two, we don't do. we? Yes, we do. Yeah. Anyway, Stephanie, where are you talking from today? Can you tell us? Yes. So I am in Bournemouth today. I'm not originally from Bournemouth. Um, I originally come from Kent in the southeast of England, but I now live in Bournemouth, also in the south, but I live on the coast now. Mm, it's nice. Is it nice there? I have to say it's lovely. It's a fantastic quality of life. Um, really nice work-life balance because it's very outdoorsy. So often, for example, in the mornings, I might start my day with a, a jog along the seafront. Um, or if in the nicer weather, I sometimes go for an early morning swim. So, yeah, it's very nice, nice work-life balance here. And it's a very young town as well. It's a common misconception that it's quite an old um, town, but there's actually two universities here and lots of language schools. So it's a really vibrant international kind of feel to it. So I really like it. I didn't know that actually. There are two universities in Bournemouth. Yes, we have Bournemouth University and also the Arts University. 
Um, so there's a lot of students and if you add on top of that all the language schools because it's a really popular destination for language learning which is one of the reasons I'm here um, there's a lot of students there's a really big student population so that means there's a really nice obviously at the moment it's a little bit different with the, the lockdown but normally there's a really nice buzz to the town mm -hmm. okay and how did you come to live there tell us a bit about your your life story my life story in you. a nutshell <laughs> yes <laughs> well I didn't start out as a teacher my first job um, was in publishing I used to work um, for a publishing house in London and we published what we call coffee table books so highly illustrated reference books on topics like um, interior design, gardening, but also um, food and drink, which was really interesting. So that's how I started off. Um, and it was a fun time, I have to say. I was sharing a flat with my best friend. I'd got this new job in London. I was attending a lot of launch parties for the new books, the new titles. So it was really exciting. And it was a fun, really fun uh, part of my life. Um, but after a couple of years, I started to feel... Hmm, am I getting job satisfaction from this? And it was around that time that I'd been on holiday to Japan and completely fallen in love with the country. And so I kind of had a re-evaluation of my life, where I was going, what I wanted to do, and decided to take my CELTA certificate and retrain, become a teacher and move to Japan. Oh. So yeah that was a bit of a lifestyle change um so i moved to japan and had the best time i mean totally love japan um i was there for four years in the end and wow. then i decided to relocate back to europe but um not not directly back to london i went to milan and worked there for five years i ended up staying in milan for five years and then back to London. But the second time in London, I think I'm kind of in two minds whether it's a good idea to go back to a place because it's never as good the second time round. So my second time in London, I started to feel a bit like, mm, not sure this is the right place for me at the moment. So I came to Bournemouth and here I am. Ah, okay. So how long have you been in Bournemouth? So I've been in Bournemouth now. I always feel like I've just arrived, but actually it must be three years now. Okay. Yeah, I have been to Bournemouth um, many years ago, many, many years ago. And I remember for people who are watching, like Bournemouth is on the south coast and, you know, England isn't famous for its hot weather, but I do remember I had a holiday with a friend there and it was spectacular. It was mm. like being in the Mediterranean. I mean, we have, I'm going to sound like the tourist office here, but we do have seven miles of sandy beach. So it is absolutely fantastic. I actually prefer it in the autumn, in the winter, when there's not that many tourists and it's quite bracing the wind on the seafront and you can do some really good walks. And wait, wait, I just want to, you said something earlier, which you said sometimes you go for a swim sea in the morning. Yes. I mean, I've been... It's a great way to start the day. <laughs> I've, I've swum in that sea and I still remember how cold my toes were. Mm. I mean, my toes went blue. It was so cold. 
obviously you pick your time. I mean, I'm not talking about December, January, but this sort of time of year, um, it's actually, once you get in, that's the hard part. But once you get in, it's, um, it's surprisingly nice. And a lot of people do it. That's another thing. So many people are swimming in the mornings. Okay, well, I would just wave to you <laughs> from the sandy beach. <laughs> okay, all right. Just to let you know, we have today listening people from Somalia, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Guatemala, Mexico oh. City, Kurdistan, Myanmar, Armenia, Qatar, Iraq. And we also have somebody from Japan. Fantastic. I wonder where in Japan they are watching from. Yeah. And where in Japan were you? So I lived in a town called Fujisawa, which is just south of Yokohama. So Yokohama would be the most famous town that people would have heard of. And I lived just south of that in a place called Fujisawa, which was a great place to live because it was so easy to go to Yokohama or Tokyo to have like that experience of city and um, the adrenaline and the culture. But you could also go to the beach. There was Inoshima Island um, and Kamakura, which was the ancient capital where lots of temples and a very peaceful um, place to visit as well. So it's a really good place to be located because you had access to all those different um, aspects of Japan, depending on how you felt. Yeah, that's great. And I have to ask you this. Did you learn Japanese? Well, I did. Um, I'd have to say, by the time I left, considering when I arrived, I knew nothing. By the time I left, I'd say I was about A2 level. Um, oh, that's my level. So, so about right, my teaching level. level. I can speak better English than I do. <laughs> yeah, so about pre-intermediate level. But the problem is, of course, when you don't practice. And I, unfortunately, when I left, I didn't have the opportunity to practice coupled with the fact that I'd moved to Italy and I suddenly needed to learn Italian. Unfortunately, um, my Japanese sort of went down and down and now it's pretty non-existent. But it's one of those things that when I have time, um, I really want to start it up again because I feel like I put a lot of effort into that. And it's a fascinating language to learn with the different alphabets. So I really would love to to go back and restart when I have some free time. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a project for the future then. Definitely, yeah. Busy days at the moment, so that's definitely a, a future project. Yeah. And uh, so then you went to Milan and you were in Italy for how long? So I was in Italy for five years. Right. It's one of those things, isn't it? You always go thinking, I'll be here for a year, but then time sort of runs away with you. And before you know where you are, five years have passed. So, yeah. yes. But so tell me, you, so you learned Japanese and then obviously you learned Italian and now you're teaching all these people from around the world English. Um, have you got any funny stories about language learning that you would like to share with us? <laughs> well, there's lots that I won't share. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so there is a story that does spring to mind. I'm not sure if it's funny, but there's a good lesson in there. And I think from a teaching point of view, it's something really important to remember. Um, so this happened pretty early on when I first arrived in Milan and I was having some friends around for dinner. And I don't actually remember what I was cooking, but I did need a very specific herb. 
So not knowing what this was in Italian, because at that point, my Italian knowledge was ciao and arrivederci. That was kind of it. So I looked it up in my dictionary and found out the word for this herb, which I thought was prezzemolo. So armed with this knowledge, I went to the supermarket and couldn't see it there, but it was kind of integral to the recipe. So I was determined I needed this herb. So I asked an assistant. But of course, I didn't have the structure. I only knew the word. So I, I just said this word, prezzemolo, and sort of she looked at me quite blankly. So I've tried repeating myself and she didn't know what I was on about at all. So she called a, her colleague over. I tried the same thing again, prezzemolo. He didn't have a, a clue. So to cut a long story short, they ended up getting, um, asking the manager to come, which was really helpful of them, considering the only thing I could say was ciao, prezzemolo and arrivederci. I, I was very at their mercy. The manager came over and he got me to write the word down. Now, as soon as I wrote the word down, they immediately all understood what this word was. It was prezzemolo. But because I was saying it with such a heavy English accent with my stress in the wrong place, nobody would understood a word I was talking about. And it took about 10 minutes, but we got there in the end. I got the herbs that I needed. And I think I learned a lesson that you don't just look at the word. You also need to think about how it's pronounced, where the stress is, because that's a fundamental part of, of communication. So we had a laugh about it because the manager actually spoke some English and he said I was speaking with a very heavy accent, which I'm sure I was. Um, so it was all right in the end. I got what I wanted, but a bit of, um, yeah, took a bit of time. Yeah. And can I ask, did your friends like the dinner? I seem to remember that they did. Yes. So it was <laughs> worth it in the end. And I've never, I'll never forget that word in Italian. Yeah, so it wasn't prezzemolo. Prezzemolo, it's prezzemolo. So the stress is on the Yeah, so I was getting the stress completely wrong and coupled with my heavy accent meant that nobody could understand me. Okay, all right. Lesson well, learned. Yes, yes. So pronunciation is very important, everybody. So don't forget that. Don't okay, forget now that. we're going to go to the part now where the people watching ask some questions. Good. So I'm just going to open some up and see. Um, oh, somebody says, um, uh, would you go back and live in Japan? That is a brilliant question. It's something I often ask myself. Um, there was earlier in the chat show, I did say I have second thoughts about going back to a place because I do feel that it's never going to be the same as the first time you were there. And I have experienced that with London. So that does kind of give me some misgivings about the idea of going back. Um, never say never, who knows, but I think possibly I would visit on extended holidays. Because mm. there's still a lot of Japan I haven't seen that I would love to visit. So possibly I, I think I would go back for an extended holiday. Yeah, I mean, I, I do know what you mean about going back to places. But I think as long as you realise you're going back as a different person yes. to, re, to live a different experience. Yes. So yeah. who knows? You never know. Okay, right. Let, we have some more questions. Um, oh, what, what other countries have you visited? And what other countries would you like to visit? 
great questions today. Um, so obviously I've done a lot of traveling in Asia yeah. and Europe. So I've traveled quite extensively in those parts of the world. An area I have no experience of and I've never visited is South America. So I think that's, um, that's a big, um, something I would definitely like to do in the future. As I say, I have no experience. I don't speak Spanish, um, but I would love to visit South America, perhaps Argentina. Mm -hmm. So you've traveled all, all over Asia, really? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I've done a, I've done a lot, quite a lot of travelling. Yes. Oh, you're, you're lucky. I, I haven't done so much of, you know, Asia. Mostly, my travelling has mostly been within Europe. I would say, but yeah. So you have to go to South America. Obviously, not at the moment. Not at the moment. This is the thing, isn't it? I know we're a bit, and it's very hard for those of us that love to travel. Mm. I usually have some trip in the pipeline something to look forward to so it's quite hard at the moment to have um have an empty diary with no yeah. no trips no trips planned and of course i think being in europe we're very fortunate in the sense obviously not at the moment but usually we can um in a short time get to a completely different country um and you can go for you know a long weekend and i think we're really fortunate in that respect yeah different country different culture different exactly. cuisine yeah. Different language. Yeah. Okay, let's see. One more question. Ah, another nice question. Do you prefer teaching in the classroom or online? God, they really are good questions, aren't they? That's an interesting one. Um, they're very different. I think in an ideal world, it's good to have that mix of both. I don't think I'd like to do completely online or completely in the classroom. I like that mix. Um, it's definitely nice being in a classroom because you can interact face to face with your students. Yeah. But that being said, I think online obviously opens up so many more doors. You have access to so many more students and um, it gives people to have you know, have that chance to, to have a lesson with a native English speaker that they might not normally have. And I, I think I really recognise that as a, as a really big advantage. Um, and as we've seen just in this talk show, people are joining from such a diverse range of countries. I think that's, that's amazing. And I think when we have um, these online sessions and people get the chance to, to interact with people from these different countries, I think that's, that's a really modern way of learning. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? When we do the Facebook Live, you know, I'm standing in my living room in like Barcelona talking yes. and thinking there are all these people connected, yes. you know, all over the world. It's yeah. fantastic. And we can learn a lot from it. And I think, you know, the idea of um, English becoming accessible, accessing it when you want, when it's convenient for you, rather than having the constraints of a classroom. I think that's a really positive thing as well. Mm. Okay, good. So good we question. keep going with perfectly spoken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, what we're going to do now is um, we're going to put up another little poll. Um, let me just open it. Uh, now this one, guys, we have no idea what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is either. So basically the question is, 
which of these mountains has Stephanie climbed? Mm. Kilimanjaro, Ben Nevis, Fuji or Everest? Okay. I'm glad nobody's put Everest. Well, I might surprise you. You never know. That could be the answer. Okay. <laughs> My secret life is a mountaineer. You never know. That is true. That is true. I mean, you go swimming in the sea in the UK, so anything is possible. Anything is possible. Right. Okay. So we'll leave a few more seconds to see what votes we have. All right. The most... I'm just going to end it. The most popular vote we have is for Fuji. So what is the actual answer? Do you know, I really want to say Everest because that would be such a wow moment, wouldn't it? If I could, you know, that has a claim to fame, I've climbed Everest. But unfortunately, I haven't. Well, at least not yet. Um, yes, the answer is Fuji. Well done, uh, everybody. And how tall is Fuji? Tell me about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know how tall it is. I should have checked that out, shouldn't I? I don't know how tall it is. Um, it's a volcano, obviously. So um, when I when we use the verb climb Fuji, it's more of a walk up Fuji. There's not much actual sort of climbing involved. Um, and obviously the point of doing it is to see the rising sun. That's the whole point. You climb through the night, walk up through the night. Um, so you set off the evening before, walk through the night, um, and then the idea being you're, at the summit to see the rising sun. However, the day I did it, um, there was thick mist. It was swirling, soupy white mist at the top. So I got all the way up there, saw absolutely nothing, could barely see my friends that I'd climbed with if they went too far away, and then had to come all the way back down again. So I think it's one of those things I kind of need to do again. So another good reason for returning to Japan. Yeah. I mean, I actually did had a similar experience. I walked up uh, Mount Sinai, which isn't very big, but I think we left at like three o'clock in the morning or something, walked up to see the sunrise. And then we were sitting there, you know, and we noticed it was daylight. And we were like, oh, well, no. it had obviously been cloudy <laughs> over the horizon. And we were like, the sun's on. <laughs> We'd missed it but you know it was an experience to go yes, anyway exactly it's experience and like I say something perhaps I need to do again in the future yeah okay all right well this part of the show before we end I'm just going to do a quick language focus for some of the people who have been listening so I'm going to do a few um expressions that Stephanie came up with when she was talking um so one of them was uh to have a trip in the pipeline. Now, we say this in English, if you have a trip or have uh, something in the pipeline, it means that you have something that you plan to do. So obviously, because we're recording this still in lockdown, um, then you don't have many travel plans in the pipeline. Unfortunately, um, not, no. <laughs> yeah. And another one um, Stephanie came up with, which was to cut a long story short. I really like that one. So when you're telling a story and it has lots of details, but you want to get straight to the point, you say to cut a long story short. Um, 
And some people say this and then they don't cut the long story short. Have you noticed that stuff? Yes, that's very true. And you're kind of lulled into that sense of, okay, they're going to give me a brief version, but then yes, it's going on and on. And you think, is this the shortened version? Because yeah. if it is, I don't know what the long version must be like. <laughs> okay, the last expression was, uh, Stephanie said, I am in two minds. I am in two minds. So that means we can't decide something. So you're kind of like, mm, I don't know whether to do something or not. You can say, I'm in two minds about going to Paris, for example. So that was a good one. So now, uh, Stephanie, we've really enjoyed talking to you. But before we leave, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all my guests, which is, what is your favourite English word? Oh, it's a good question. I've got lots of words that I like. Um, probably... To choose one is difficult, but I'm going to say my favourite word is flummox or flummoxed. Flummox or flummoxed. Yeah. Well, that's a good pronunciation. Flummoxed. flummoxed. I like saying it. It's very satisfying to say flummoxed. Okay. Um, can, you ex can you spell it and explain what it means, please? Yes. So F-L-U-M-M-O-X-E-D. If you feel flummoxed, you feel confused perplexed that's another good one I like mm. bewildered um, and I like it because as I said I like saying it and also I think it's quite an old-fashioned word and I think sometimes with all these new words entering the English language we shouldn't forget sometimes the the old ones are good as well so yes I like flummoxed flummoxed I was very flummoxed when I got to the airport and I realized I couldn't find my passport. Yes. Is that a good example? It's a good example. Or something like um, if I have to build furniture from Ikea and I'm trying to look at the instructions and I've got all the screws, then I, yeah, I feel flummoxed. I'm confused, um, a bit bewildered by it. Um, so next time that happens, it's a good word to use, flummoxed. Mm. Okay, well, thank you so much. Can I just ask, what are you going to do uh, when you finish this interview, what are you going to do? You're not going to go for a run or a swim. Or a swim in the sea. Really? No, are I'm you? joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed. I was impressed. No, no, but I am going for a socially distanced beach walk. Oh. So I'm meeting a friend down by the seafront and we will go for a walk along the sea. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, I'll let you go and okay. have your walk. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really, really, yeah, it's been really nice to hear about your life and uh, your experiences. And thank you as well to everybody who's been watching from thank all you. over the world. Yeah, and we will be with you same time next week. So take care, everybody. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. everybody.